Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting His kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. Today's message is Wrestling with God. Here's Pastor Philip Thomas. So we are in our second part of a two-part series, so I'm going to catch everybody up. Um, if you were um, out celebrating uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, last weekend, um, and, and I do want to use this as an opportunity, we're, we're really starting to, to try to use um, just some different ways to get um, messages out and information out. We do have a YouTube page now. So um, all our messages are all starting to be videoed. You can access that. Just start searching for Journey Elgin on YouTube, or you can go to our website, journeyelgin.org. Uh, there's a link uh, there. Um, so you can start hearing messages uh, that are videoed. Those also come through our podcast. So you can search for Journey Elgin on pretty much any podcast player uh, if you do that, and you, of course, get the audio version. Uh, we've also started something that we've done the last two weeks, um, and, and have had really good response um, uh, to it. Uh, we're doing a, a Monday word of encouragement. And, and what the kind of the thought behind it is, is try to find some encouraging news um, that, that we can at least know that there's something positive happening in the world around us. Because on Monday morning, you're going to look at the news and usually there's not going to be anything positive. And so that's, that's the, the point of this. Um, we, we send it out on Facebook, but it's also available on YouTube uh, as well. But if you follow us on Facebook, um, just Journey Elgin, um, it'll come out every Monday uh, morning. We recorded two of them this past week. Um, so so it, we're, we're looking forward to that and kind of um, experimenting with some different, different things and a use of some different media. Um, but that, that's something that's always available to you. But so last week we started talking about uh, a, a guy in the Old Testament named Jacob. And we talked about it in uh, terms of how he created a memorial, that there was something that happened in his life that he recognized how important it was that he remember it. And, uh, and so if you remember, it's, it's so important to kind of know the history and, and where we come from, the history of our faith. So God, if you remember, uh, called Abraham. So, and basically what God was doing is he was going to use a group of people to, to reveal himself to the world, right? They were going to be um, kind of his messengers, you know, and, and so he started with uh, Abraham. Abraham was faithful to God, moved his whole family, uh, moved to what is now the nation of Israel, moved into that, that part of the world. Uh, sometimes we wonder how does such a small country still dominate uh, world news? Well, God started that in motion a long time ago, right? And, uh, and so Abraham moves his family um, uh, there. He has Isaac. Um, Isaac marries Rebekah. Um, and then uh, Isaac and Rebekah have Esau and Jacob, and they're twins. And if you remember, we talked about how from the beginning there was a contentious relationship there. Um, Esau was the oldest. He should have had the birthright. Um, which was very important in that uh, days, you know, the, the family name, fortune, all of that kind of stuff went through the oldest. Well, he kind of didn't care too much about his birthright, um, and Jacob really wanted the birthright, and so Jacob actually steals the birthright. And, uh, and we talked a little bit about, and I think it's a, an important thing, imagine you're God, which is always a scary thing to do, so don't dwell there too long. But 
you know, you, so you've decided that, hey, I'm going to show the world how much I love them, and I'm going to do that through my relationship with this specific people group. And by the third generation, so Abraham the third, right? By the third generation, you've already got a guy who has stolen the birthright, and now he's fearful for his life uh, because he's afraid that his brother is going to kill him, right? And so he's fleeing. Um, and so there's already all this dysfunction starting to happen. And you know God's like, oh, this is going to be a long ride. You know, it's already starting to happen. But he, he, uh, Jacob has this wonderful vision of, the, uh, of the, the ladder to heaven. And it was kind of a reaffirmation that uh, the God of Abraham was also the God of Jacob. Right, that it was his God, and he 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 was developing his relationship with God, and he um, memorialized that that moment, and so he continues. We pick up the story. Um, he continues to go, and he's going to try to find uh, people that are basically related um, to Isaac and to Rebecca, and he finds Rebecca's descendants, um, a man named Laban. All right, so he he's there. He he uh, meets Rachel. And he falls in love, right? And again, there's so many cultural things that go on here. You know, you kind of have to step back and realize because it's so interesting. So he wants to marry Rachel. Um, the problem is, is back then, marriages were arranged, and you had to pay to be married. In the early service, I nearly stopped the whole thing and said that my only point is that I think we should reinstitute the dowry system because I have three girls. And how awesome would that be? Right, that, that three different people would have to pay me a lot of money to 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 mar- marry. I, it's really I, I see no flaws in this system, and uh, and and how horrible is it that now we've completely switched that on its head? The wife, the the bride's family has to pay for the whole wedding. Used to it was the grooms that had to pay for everything. I, man, we need to go back really quickly. That's right. I, I'm gonna. I'm going to run for office, and that's my first order of business, is to reinstitute the dowry system. But, <laughs> so, but, but so what we have, that's the situation basically that's happening. And so uh, Jacob wants to marry um, uh, Rachel. And Laban says, okay, you don't have any money. All right, we'll see what happens. Why don't you work for me for seven years? All right. So he works for seven years. For Laban, gets married, and this is kind of a, a weird thing. You're like, you, we kind of say, well, how did that happen? Well, I'm sure there was bales and things like that. Actually, gets married, so it's all legal and binding, and then takes off the veil and goes, "You're not Rachel, you're Leah, you're the older sister of Rachel," and so he goes, "Hey, Laban, what's the deal? I worked for seven years. I didn't want to marry Leah." I don't like her all that much, right? I like Rachel. There is a difference. And Laban says, well, she's the older daughter. She needs to marry first. Sorry. Man. And so, so I, love, <laughs> I love the solution. Like for us, I'd be like, okay, that didn't count. We're going to, but, but no, it was binding, right? This was, they took it very serious. So he is married to Leah. And so he and Laban come together with an agreement, says, okay, I'll work for you another seven years, and I can marry Rachel. So good that you get to marry Rachel. 
bad that you're married to two women now, right? Now, we know that that happens even today, but I would say that there's minor complications marrying two women. You throw in the fact that the two women are sisters, you have thrown a bomb into the family, right? And then it's really interesting because things start to happen. Leah is able to have children very easily. Rachel is not able to have children very easily. That causes some problems. Imagine. I mean, this is desperate housewives of the Israeli plains, right? I mean, and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden you, get, you start getting uh, um, housewives involved, literally handmaidens. And again, cultural differences here, right? But, but just a mess. Okay, so all of that's starting to happen. Remember, this is the people that God is working through <laughs> to reveal himself to the world. It's a dysfunctional family, probably very similar to a lot of our families, maybe other than not being married to the two sisters. Right? But all families have this dysfunction, and we see that early on, and God is still working through this. And it's really interesting because so Jacob, um, he's now married, but he has to work for seven more years. Imagine, it's pretty easy to imagine, tensions get a little bit high with Jacob and Laban now. I would be pretty ticked, right? So now he's basically getting 14 years of work, and now I'm married to both your daughters, right? And, and so things start to go sour. Um, Jacob um, makes a, a really uh, smart move, and uh, he says, okay, I will start taking all of the, the sheep and goats that, that are spotted, right? And there weren't many of them, but he one of it is it's God's blessing, but it was also Jacob knew what he was doing. And, uh, and so his herd starts to grow. So he's actually starting to now be more wealthy than even Laban. And so there starts to be, he starts getting worried that Laban's going to try to kill him, right? This is his father-in-law. So he decides to leave. Uh, he leaves. They actually do have a small reconciliation. And, uh, and so Jacob now is headed back um, to, to where uh, Isaac and Rebekah and Esau are, so back to his homeland. Again, all of this is following the promise that God had given him in this vision. God had promised him that he would be with him, promised that he would bring him back safely, uh, promised that he, would, uh, that he would expand his territory. Right. So all of that's happening. But I want you to imagine being Jacob. It would be hard to see all of this as a net gain, right? Like there are some good things that are happening, but you're also were, were killed by your father-in-law. You're, you have this family strife. Now you're headed back to your homeland, but you know that Esau is probably still not very happy with you. Right? And in fact, uh, as they're nearing uh, the, uh, the homeland, Esau comes out with a large group of about 300 people. And so Jacob can take that one of two ways. Either, oh man, great welcome party, or we're all dead, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so Jacob actually sends out about half of his herd kind of as a, as a gift to Esau, um, and, and he's in a, a nervous place. And so he actually uh, sends uh, his wife and, and a family at a different spot, and he's basically all alone. You get the feeling that he just needs some time to try to figure this out. Right? And that brings us to this very interesting uh, passage that we're going to talk about today. So this is in Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. It says, That night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, 
and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Yeah, goodness. And after that, he sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he re- as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? And Jacob, an- he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. All right, so this is a, is a pretty fascinating story. And frankly, People have been debating exactly what's going on here for years, and we don't, we're not going to know a, a full, full understanding. But I, I want to bring up something that's kind of a little bit philosophical. Hopefully it just kind of gives you something to think about as what is this saying about our relationship with God, right? Because we can get into the fact, did he really wrestle physically with God? Was this an angel? You know, those are things it was clearly someone that Jacob... Uh, recognized as uh, as not of this world, right? And uh, and they attribute it to being God. We don't understand all the working dynamics here, but it was something supernatural that was that was happening, and it was it was very very interesting. Um, but I, I want us to to look at what does this say about our relationship? Because if I told you to imagine yourself getting in a wrestling match with God, how does that turn out? Not good, right? Like, like it, I immediately flash back uh, to think, well, do they allow chairs to be thrown in the ring so that you can beat people over the head with them? You know, do you have to wear the uniforms? You know, is it a tag team match? Can I get Andre the Giant, you know, to be my tag team partner, right? We start thinking of this wrestling with God, and, it, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It's like, really? Were they really wrestling? And I would think that that wouldn't be a challenge for God, Right? Here's, he created the universe, probably can handle um, you know, wrestling with you. It's kind of like whenever I was a little kid wrestling with my dad, right? And we would have lots of fun, and, and you know, I could push him down for a little bit, but if he ever wanted to, he could just stomp me, right? It would just be like, yeah, you're done. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the feeling that you get. If God wanted to do that, he could do that, right? But it's really interesting because... It actually says that Jacob subdues him. That Jacob kind of wrestles him and gets him pinned, if you will, and says, are you going to bless me? Now, God kind of lets him know with the very unfair move of the magic finger and touches his tendon. Right? That's just not not fair. But, uh, but, But there is this idea of there's a true struggle going on. And I want to, one thing that really jumps out to me is the blessing that, that God gives Jacob. So God asks Jacob his name, which of course he knows his name, right? But he says, Jacob, he says, no longer are you going to be called Jacob, but you're going to be called Israel. 
which is obviously a very important hinge moment for biblical history, right? We have Israel today. We have the people of Israel today. We are part of the Judeo-Christian line that flows from, from this religious background, right? And so now he is called Israel, which means you have struggled with God and with humans, but have overcome. I really started thinking about what does that really mean? What does it mean to struggle with God? And you look at the people of Israel, and historically speaking, this is undeniably true. Right? Just what the Jewish people have had to endure throughout history. It has been a struggle. Right? But I want to focus on what does this mean for our relationship with God? See, we usually look at this term as struggle, and we kind of view it from a negative perspective, right? That, oh, we don't want to struggle. We should avoid struggling, right? And, and so whenever we say Israel means to struggle with God, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. But actually, this isn't a negative word. It doesn't have a negative connotation. In fact, I would say that this is just a realistic word. Because guess what? Life is a struggle, and we struggle with God. Right? Sometimes we are struggling with Him. We're, we're kind of not happy with God. We're kind of struggling to find out what's my relationship going to be like with God? Um, what is He calling me to do? What is He wanting me to do? But sometimes we're in going through struggles, but we're going through those struggles with Him. Right? The closest that I can example that I can come in, a, in human terms is what a husband and wife relationship is supposed to be like. Right? And I think about my relationship with Molly over the years. There have been times that we've struggled in our relationship. We disagree about something, something simple. Right? That technically, that's a struggle. Right? There are times that we have gone through life experiences that have caused major struggle in our life. Loss of loved ones, uh, loss of job, moving, right? Those are all things that we struggle. But through it all, our relationship, we struggle with each other, we struggle with the world around us, but our relationship has actually become stronger and it becomes an amazing source of strength to the point that I'm like, I can't imagine enduring the struggles of life without that relationship, that relationship becomes central to who I am. It's really hard for me to even think about the, being outside of that relationship. Even when that relationship is, has some struggles going along. I think that's exactly the picture that we get here of struggling with God. That Israel is a people who struggles with God. Now, there's, there's some danger to this. Because what this is implying is that God gives us the freedom to go and to make our own choices, right? And we see that with Jacob's life. Jacob has married two sisters, right? He, he, is, he already has children from four different women, right? This is not the decision that God would have made, right? It's causing struggle. But God is saying, listen, I will struggle with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to throw away the promise that I made for you. 
I'm going to go with you through your struggles. And that is actually how we come, become closer with God. I want to contrast that with the way that I think a lot of times we would prefer to view our relationship with God. The word, uh, man, this is, uh, you always have to be careful. The word Islam. So that's obviously another major religion that has similar roots, right? But Islam, whenever you look at it the same way as you look at Israel, Israel, the word itself, means to struggle with God, okay? Islam means to submit to God, right? So you have a struggle and you have submit. And I would make the case that as Christians, so we're not focusing on Islam here, but as Christians and as the church, many times we have chosen to view God by we submit to God. That God is up here, that he is holy, that he is sovereign, which is all true, right? That he has uh, given us uh, direction on how we live our life, and our whole role is just to submit to that, right? That we acknowledge that God is up here, we are down here, we submit and we do that. I would say the worst points in Christian history are when that has been the predominant view. When the church has basically told the people, submit because this is what God said, this is what you should do. Here's a way to look at that, raising your children. It's not a perfect science to that, it's very difficult. All of you as parents at some point, and there are times you need to do this, and so I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't times that we don't, we don't need to just submit to God because that's what we should do. But there's times as parents you've, you've said you need to do this, and your kid has argued with you, and you said, shut up, I don't care, you do it because I said to do it, right? I don't care the reason, it doesn't matter, you're going to do it because I'm in authority, I am bigger than you, you live in this house, you're going to do it, right? We've all, all been there. And there's times that that's justified. Don't, don't feel completely guilty. But I would submit to you, if that was your only way that you parented, if that's how you viewed it as strictly, I am parent, I am in authority, you are child, you do what I say simply because I say it, right? And so you never try to explain, you never give them any movement to, to uh, learn on their own, you never give them any movement to fail, you know, you, you, uh, you kind of come at it that way. I would say that's going to really ruin relationship with your kids, right? A strong relationship is one that kind of struggles together. Right? That you're, you're trying to teach your children, you're giving them boundaries, that, and there's going to be times that they're not going to live up to that, and you're going to have to hold them accountable. There's going to be times that you are going to say, no, you are not doing that. And I don't care that you don't understand it. You're not doing it. Right? But the whole basis of the, your relationship is not that you just, they just submit because they have to submit. It's because you're struggling together. Right? And, and I think we, we get really uncomfortable and because we think of God and we think of God as, well, he is the creator. He can do whatever he wants. He's completely sovereign, all of which is true. 
And sometimes we go to the fact that, okay, well, you should just follow him because he is God and he said so. I think that can lead to some some dangerous places. It definitely leads to legalism. It leads to, okay, here, just give me a list of rules. And honestly, that's kind of what a lot of times we would prefer. Just give me the list of rules so that I know what I can and can't do, and I'll just try to live up to them. And the problem is, and, and many churches have done that, right? I mean, I, I'm sure all of you have experienced that. And uh, the problem is, is that when that happens, you start living and you're like, hey, I'm following all of these rules and I'm doing really well. And then guess what happens? Life still doesn't work out perfectly. And so it becomes really easy to say, you know, I'm sitting here following everything that you've told me to do and life still is falling apart. Maybe we should look at things a little bit more the way I believe that the Bible presents it. As listen, life, life is a struggle. But God struggles with us. That he is present with us. And yeah, sometimes that means that we struggle with God a little bit. And there may be those times where we choose to turn our back on him. And you know what? That's going to have con- uh, consequences. And we're going to have to, to uh, pay for our choices and our mistakes. But God is still going to be there and he's still going to struggle with us and he's going to help us through the struggles and he is ultimately going to help us overcome. I would encourage all of us, but I would encourage you as graduates who are moving on to this next step in your life. Don't want to be too much of a downer, but guess what? You're going to have struggles. Sorry, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter how good you plan. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how much money you have, how good of a family support system you have. All of that can be wonderful, but you're still going to struggle. And so the question becomes, are you going to have a relationship with God where he is struggling with you? Or are you just going to view him as this Big guy up here who is really powerful, who is just up there to, to make you feel bad when you do something wrong. Right? One way will not draw you closer to him, and it will not strengthen your relationship with him. The other way is a little bit more messy, and it's not as cut and dried. But it'll start creating a relationship with you that you won't know how to live without. And it'll give you so much strength and encouragement that no matter what life throws at you, you will be able to overcome. And that relationship will become the most important thing in your life. Choose to engage in the struggle. Struggle through life with God. And I promise you, you will see beauty in the midst of the storm. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas, 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.